タラタタタタタラタタラタタタタタタラタタラタタラタタラタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタタ If you want to keep up with what we're doing in between episodes, you can find us at WTHITFPod on Twitter. Want us to review a movie you like? Leave a review on iTunes and send a screenshot, and we'll review one movie of your choice. We've taken long enough here. Let's get started. All right, welcome to episode 12 of Who the Hell is This For? Today we are covering Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Riley is not here, and this was his pick because he won our possibly rigged number guessing contest.、Uh, we got about six different guesses, and then it ended up Riley guessed、uh, one away from Prodcath's secret number. We're like a South American government. You have no <laughs> faith that it's not corrupt. <laughs> But anyway, we were, we were glad to get a,、uh, a recommendation from him. Uh, would have probably liked it more if it were somebody else. <laughs> Not that we don't like Riley. But we'll be doing this again, too.、Um, yeah. We are taking still reviews、um, from the audience, so next week's episode will be our space episode from、yes. um, Alex to give us that suggestion on our reviews. So we are still doing the, the reviews one. We'll do kind of some of these in betweens, either with pics from the audience or stuff from our list of things that we would have been wanting to review. Yeah, because we, we do want to keep a little bit of variety in there and not just do solely polls, solely、um, review recommendations.、Uh, we we want to keep it fairly fresh.、Uh, before we get into the Hateful Eight,、uh, what have you been watching this week, Jeff?、Um, so I dove into the third season of Daredevil this week. I have、um, not started it yet. So, you, have you seen any of it at all? I've seen the first two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So,、um, the first season of Daredevil and like the first four episodes of season two are some of my favorite TV that is on Netflix, but even just like in the last couple of years, it's some of my favorite.、Um, it's basically like everything that a Batman show could be, and、mm. it's just in the Daredevil、um, form. So, if you've seen the end part of season two or if you saw The Defenders, You're probably like, nah, I don't know if、yeah. I want to watch season three. Or if you saw Iron Fist. Yeah.、Um, they, they got back to what made Daredevil really successful in the first place, which is just like the dark street level, super Catholic. I'm not sure if I believe in God, Matt、so、Murdock. Like, and it's a huge angle in this, in this one. And、uh, Fisk is the, back as the villain, which was the best part、mm-hmm. of season one as well. So definitely worth a watch. I think I'm only. Three or four episodes in, but it's been really good so far. Cool.、Uh, yeah, kind of to touch on your point, the first four episodes of the whole Punisher arc of season、yeah. two. Oh, I forgot to mention the, pun- the Punisher season on its own, also fantastic. Okay, because I didn't watch that either. Yeah, it's really I, good. I got burnt by Iron Fist because I love the Iron Fist comics and just was really excited for that, and、yeah. it was not good at all. I will say, so. The, the arc of Punisher in season two of Daredevil is fantastic. And、mm-hmm. it's really it's pretty self contained. Like, you can watch it and be like, yeah, I got an awesome Punisher story.、Um, but the Punisher season is really, really good. It does a lot with like, PTSD、oh. from soldiers. And it's an awesome angle that I feel like I haven't seen tackled. It's、okay. a little bit too long. I think it's like 
20 episodes or something oh, like that. Oh, really? So it's it's too long, but it's really good. Okay. I would definitely slog through it because the last three or four episodes are phenomenal. Okay. Uh, Catherine and I haven't been watching a whole lot of movies. We've been watching a lot of NCIS. Uh, we tried to go see The Grinch this weekend. Uh, and it was sold out. It did out. not go as planned. It did not go as planned, and it led to one of the more uncomfortable interactions I've had at a movie theater. Uh, so, playing at nine, we went to go try and get tickets for the nine o'clock showing of The Grinch, and it was sold out. What's quick pause? Nine o'clock showing for The Grinch seems no, completely like, sold right? out. Yeah, completely seems sold like the, out. Seems like the wrong time to for be a sold taking, out show. I mean, yeah, it was a Friday night, but also, should your kid be it? I mean, yeah, and it was the play in screen whatever oh it was one two yeah okay where they have the playground in the movie theater yeah i i was not expecting us to have issues with that so then we were like oh what other movies are playing at nine o'clock and the ticket counter guy he's like oh uh the hate you give is playing and Catherine hadn't heard of it and she's like oh what's the hate you give about and there is a cop standing next to us <laughs> if you are not familiar with the hate you give it pretty it centers mostly on like the after effects of a cop killing a black person like in cold blood and so i was trying both me and the ticket guy are trying to stumble <laughs> through that plot summary to Catherine without bringing up hey <laughs> cops are bad <laughs> You should have just turned around and done the summary to his face. Just looked him right <laughs> in his eyes. Well, I did, and he will—he had like that haggard, like I've been on the force twenty years kind of look. Oh, like, shit. He, never mind. His <laughs> face looked like the moon, and it, <laughs> and I'm yeah. over here. I'm like, they're just sitting there going, uh, 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 uh. So I'm like, I'm just gonna Google this, and then I Google it. I was like, oh, okay. No, and so we turned around and we left. <laughs> So you didn't end up seeing anything. No, we no. didn't. We I was going to say, watch if you went and watched it after that, that's a that's a drastic turn in the, your night from going to see The Grinch to seeing The Hate You Give. Yeah. And that was all I said, <laughs> no. all I tried to say to get us out of there was, because Catherine asked what it was about, I said, it's just, it's really heavy. I don't want to do that right now. Because <laughs> I'm trying to get out of there without talking about that plot summary in front of a cop. <laughs> Uh, and then, other than that, I have just been getting real in to Red Dead Redemption 2, partner. <laughs> Pretty good? It's very good. Uh, there good have been story. a lot of complaints about it being kind of tedious and uh, kind of adding a lot of responsibility, putting a lot of things you have to do as the player, um, such as, like, every there's an action for everything, like skinning the animal... Um, staying on your horse, eluding something, and people have been complaining about that. But also, And so that kind of turned me away before I got it. But then after playing, I'm like, this is no different than the very first, or the original Red Dead Redemption. So all those complaints, I feel like, are coming from people who didn't play the original before. and were expecting, like, expecting something great. And it is a masterpiece. Like, it's one of the best-looking games I've ever played, and I haven't even gotten into a lot of the open-world stuff yet, so mm -hmm. I'm really excited to do that. You think those people were just expecting, like, Western Grand Theft Auto V? Yeah, 100%. Like, they they were expecting, like, a Rockstar game, and not... Because they, they're only familiar with Rockstar through, like, the GTA franchise. Right. Um, when in reality Red Dead has kind of become its own universe and own set of rules and mechanics 
uh, that they use for all those games. Gotcha. So in the in the vein of westerns, um, I am wearing a cowboy hat throughout this entire episode and assless chaps. Um, and we can go ahead. I'm not really. I got a look from Prodcath, and I think she wanted me to clear that up for the audience. Uh, I do have a mustache, though, which was very, uh, very in vogue in the 1800s. Uh, so we will go ahead and get into the Hateful Eight with our uh, plot summary. Who's doing this today? Did we decide on that? I'm not sure if we did. Prodcath, do you have one from Rotten Tomatoes that we could walk through? Yeah, can I just do the first sentence, just because it's... Sure. Yeah. Set six or eight or twelve years after the Civil War. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure. Six to twelve. Somewhere in there. Stagecoach hurdles through the wintry Wyoming landscape. That's the first sentence. Okay. That's it. Do you want me to do the rest? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this movie opens up on uh, a stone crucifix... Um, that's got, it's snow covered, um, and it basically has the opening credits, like, over that, and there's a, a stagecoach coming from very far away, all the way up, and that probably takes, what, 50 seconds for that whole opening credits scene? At least. At least, to come up and they show the Hateful Eight, and the names, and I did like that part of the movie, which we'll get into what we liked, but, um, basically contains, um, the driver, Kurt Russell, and his prisoner, um, Daisy Domergue, and then they come upon Samuel L. Jackson, and there's some dialogue back and forth, and Samuel L. Jackson's horse has frozen and, and has died, and so he needs a ride, and there's a lot of mistrust in letting this stranger come into the stagecoach. You find out that Kurt Russell's character is named John Ruth the Hangman. John Ruth the Hangman is a bounty hunter that captures... Um, criminals, but always brings them back alive so that they can hang, um, so that there's justice. Um, Samuel L. Jackson's character is also, um, a bounty hunter. He's Major Marquise Warren, uh, Marquis? Marcellus Wallace. (laughs) Warren. Um, and he is also a bounty hunter. Um, and so the two find out that they actually do know each other. But since John Ruth has a prisoner in the stagecoach already, and the prisoner is worth $10,000, he makes Samuel L. Jackson put on uh, handcuffs in order to get into the stagecoach in order to make sure that he's not going to steal his prisoner. So they keep on going. He made. I thought yeah. he put the handcuffs on him and Daisy. He, there is a handcuff on him and Daisy. There's he also put all, handcuffs on? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, and then... I miss that. Yeah. And then when... Um, they... Um, after they put the handcuffs on... Um, after John Ray puts the handcuffs on Samuel Jackson, they come upon another stranger who's yelling out um, for help. And uh, John Ruth immediately becomes suspicious. He now thinks that Samuel Jackson is in cahoots with the person that's coming up. Um, and so um, he's he's basically saying they're there to steal his bounty. Um, they come upon Chris Mannix, um, who is played by Walter Goggins. You might, Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins. You might recognize him as... Um, a supporting actor in the series Justified. He's the bad guy in Justified. I don't remember what the guy's name is, but um, Justified is one of those Boyd shows. Boyd Crowder. Boyd Crowder and Justified. You'll definitely if you if you see his face, you'll definitely know exactly yeah. who it is. Um, but basically, they come upon um, the the Chris Mannix character. Um, they're suspicious of him. So then, as they come up, they basically say, you know, John Ruth says, "Are you in league with?" 
um, Samuel L. Jackson's character. Um, and then you find out that Chris Mannix is actually um, a leader in this like rebel army that took place after the Civil War. And so the Confederacy. The Confederacy. <laughs> they had a name. No, but it's after the Civil War, uh, and okay. so it's a, a rebel gang outside of the Confederacy. Got it. Okay. That like wouldn't give up, and they're like, we're not going to give in to the unconditional surrender of the Confederacy. Oh, yeah. So he's a, a, a general or lieutenant in this army that his dad runs, and Samuel Jackson's character is obviously black, and so they do not get along. And so John Ray's character is basically like, well, you <laughs> Thank you for describing Samuel L. Jackson to I'm me. Just, I'm not familiar. Well, I'm not describing it to you. I'm describing it to the people who are listening to the podcast. Um, anyways, if you don't know anything about the Civil War, it was not about states' rights. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. Or economic anxiety. Yeah. Um, so, so basically, let's speed up this plot summary. It's taken a long time. They basically all get into the stage. I feel coach. like that's fitting for this movie. Though. They make Chris Mannix put on um, handcuffs, and Samuel Jackson's character gets his pistol back in order to help um, protect his bounty. And so John Ruth and then Marquis Warren are now working together in mm-hmm. order to make sure they protect each other's bounties. So then they get to uh, Minnie's haberdashery. There's a blizzard coming on, so they have to camp for the night. Um, they get into Minnie's Haberdashery, which is basically kind of like an old western hotel, except it's just like a big open area with yeah, beds just in a, it. a travel lodge. Yeah, a travel lodge. Um, and they get in, and um, there's a whole host of characters who are already at um, the haberdashery, and uh, so then you kind of get into this whole thing where the rest of the movie is basically a bottle episode, right? Yeah. Where everything is self-contained inside this lodge. Um, none of the characters trust each other. They all think that the other people are there to um, steal or uh, let their bounties free. So then John Ruth and Marquis Warren are suspicious of the other people who are there. The other characters that are there are Oswaldo Mowbray, who is supposed to be the hangman in Red Rock. Um, so since Chris Mannix is going to be the sheriff of Red Rock, they're supposed to be working together type of thing. There's a cowboy named Joe Gage, who's there as well, who's a little bit suspicious. There's Senior Bob, who is supposed to be the caretaker, while Minnie and her husband Sweet Dave are not there. They're on the other side of the mountain. Um, and then the last character... No, there's... Is there two more characters? There's the old racist general, yeah. who's sitting in the chair when they first come in. The and million-year-old racist. Uh-huh. And then, is that... Is that basically everybody? I think so. Oh, and Channing Tatum. Yeah. Uh, Channing Tatum's on the floor. You don't find him until later. So basically, there's this host of characters. Um, John Ruth is immediately suspicious that one of them is in league with Daisy Domergue, his prisoner, to try to break her out. Um, And then you find out, kind of out throughout the rest of the movie, of which one of the the characters actually is um, in league. So... Uh, we'll kind of fast forward to There's the end of the There's some poison movie. coffee. Everyone vomits blood. Not everyone. Everyone who drinks the poison John, vomits blood. Yeah, John Ruth vomits blood. The stagecoach driver vomits blood. Um, and then you find out that basically everybody that's in the the haberdashery is in it with Daisy Domergue. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes a battle of um, those people versus Chris Mannix and Marquise Warren. Channing Tatum is Daisy Omri's brother. He's hidden in the floor. There's a scene where 
basically they attack. Pops out of the floor and shoots spoiler him in the dick. Alert. <laughs> it is spoiler alert. He shoots, uh, yeah, like, in, when, in between I the legs. I left during the movie, came back, and all of a sudden Channing Tatum was <laughs> like, on the screen. I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Two hours into the movie, and Channing Tatum gets in shoes. <laughs> um, lots of blood, lots of shooting. Everybody dies in the end. Yeah. Long story short. Yeah. They read a fake letter from Abraham Lincoln. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say Riley does this way better. And God, Riley, Riley does it so Riley much. writes it down ahead of time. To... Yeah. <laughs> we need Riley back. Yeah. Went from a plot summary to a. The, the movie. movie is three hours long. Yeah. 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 There's a lot yeah. to unpack in you, the movie. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's not just a three hour long movie, it's a three hour long Tarantino movie. Yeah. Which it's. manages to be like drawn out and overstuffed at the same time. How do you feel about dialogue? Because this movie is basically dialogue. Yeah, exactly. It's um, in the same single room the entire let's, movie. Let's get... Because Catherine had some thoughts on the dialogue. I thought the repetitiveness was annoying. Like, at the beginning, who is the... Not John Ruth Hangman, but the actual... Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell. Hang, no, not... Oh, oh, Mowbray. Yeah, Oswaldo. Him repeating literally everything. Was annoying. Oh, well, I, I didn't notice the that. person's See, yelling at the door, and then he repeats at the uh-huh. door. I yeah, actually I thought that was like, until the, she said it. Well, like the first, the first bit of it was fine, but after so long, it got really old, and then especially two and a half hours later, when we're at the end of the movie and we're still doing it. Yeah, it was just. Yeah. Can I, I? Can I ask? Have you have you seen any other, uh, or, or many other Tarantino movies? Um, I've seen Django. Okay. I would have to look up what other... Did you ever see Inglorious Bastards? I've seen parts of that one. Okay. But, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, the... We can tackle the dialogue portion. Mm-hmm. It's it's a huge part. It's basically like... Well, we talked about a couple episodes when we talked about Grand Budapest Hotel, right? Yeah. Where Wes Anderson has a very specific style. Tarantino mm-hmm. obviously has a style all his own, which is the hallmarks are... Extreme like bloodiness and gore um, mm-hmm. and violence in his movies and extremely drawn out dialogue. Everyone has very high blood pressure in the Tarantino <laughs> universe. <laughs> <laughs> like you cut yourself shaving and just yeah, he's, yeah, a pinprick will just blow you up. He's highest rated on Rotten Tomato for Z Channel, a magnificent obsession. What? Like Tarantino as a. Yeah, what is Z Channel? Well, so is that if a, they a do magnificent like, obsession? Is that a TV thing he did? If they do like TV think, specials that they're into, they mm-hmm. still rate those. So I wonder if it's not really it's not really one of his films. Though. Yeah, I mean, I would assume his top rated film is going to be Pulp Fiction. Yeah, could be. I I feel like that's his it. lowest rated is Daltrey Calhoun. What's that? No idea. Okay. IMDb is really tricky sometimes. <laughs> it, just, it throws in all this extra stuff. So, uh, like, a good use of dialogue, or maybe not a good use, but uh, a part of dialogue that I really like in the, some of his other movies is um, the monologue from Fritz Landa in... Hans Inglourious- Landa. Hans Landa? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> one, of those, one of those German names. <laughs> um, where it's Shoshana and him, like, in the cafe, and That's- he's like... Yes. buttering, you know, his role or whatever it might be, and, um, 
I don't know. The the way that Tarantino uses dialogue can be really annoying. For the times that it works and it builds the tension, it's like, holy shit. He knocks it out of the park with Inglorious Bastards. Mm -hmm. I think, thinking back, Inglorious Bastards might be my favorite movie he's done. Because um, it, it strikes that balance of... Um, of dialogue and then releasing that tension built by the dialogue uh, with just a crazy payoff. Uh -huh. And I, it's really, really well built in Inglorious Bastards. And his scenes of dialogue alone in that movie are the best scenes of dialogue he has. Yep. I will, I will say that. Yep. Um, so I was curious, we probably should do like our, our top five or our favorite Tarantino movies. Do you want to do that now or do you want to do that after the ratings? Oh, let's do it now. Okay. So, um, we're, since we're kind of diving in, I think both of us, some of our favorite um, Tarantino's is definitely Inglorious Bastards. We had yes. seen Inglorious Bastards, that's the Nazi killer movie, um, where mm -hmm. it's the told from a couple perspectives of trying to get through the plot of killing Hitler or getting into Germany and making sure that um, they capture Hitler or kill Hitler or whatever. Um, that's probably my favorite. I do think it has the best performances. Yes. Uh, Christoph Waltz is in that one. Brad Pitt is in that one. BJ Novak even has a small part in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is fantastic. Um, who else is in that movie? Inglourious Bastards? Yeah. Eli um, Roth. Did you say Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt's in that one, yeah. Um, it's funny that I watched Inglourious Bastards. Diane Kruger's movie. Yeah, she's great. In that. Uh, I watched Inglorious Bastards before I got really into horror. And then so to go back and revisit it now, like knowing who Eli Roth is, makes his character so much more fun. Yeah. <laughs> There's one more really famous person in this movie. He's Magneto in the X-Men movies. John Blank. Michael Fassbender. Fassbender, I think. Yes. Yeah, Fassbender in this movie is really good too. Charles! And Michael Myers in a serious role. Yeah! Um, Semi-serious role. As the, like, general yeah. who, like, organizes the whole operation. Because mm -hmm. he's the guy talking to uh, Churchill, right? Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, Winston Churchill's also in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's the actual person. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's probably my number one. Um, I have a soft spot for Jackie Brown. All the people who do not like Jackie Brown, I totally get why. Yeah. That movie is mostly dialogue and very little payoff. And so I get... You know, I get why people don't like it. Has the best soundtrack, though. I will argue yes. of the Tarantino soundtrack. I know people are partial to Django. I know people are partial to Pulp Fiction. The, soundtrack the Jackie Brown soundtrack, soundtrack is the best. Actually, it's the only one I have on vinyl. So, mm -hmm. um, I like Pulp Fiction. I'm not as high on Pulp Fiction as I think other people are. Yeah. So I think my three are probably Inglorious Bastards. Pulp Fiction, for me, is one that loses something on a rewatch. Whereas Inglorious Bastards stays strong every time you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my third pick between Inglourious Bastards, Jackie Brown, uh, my third pick is Reservoir Dogs. I think that's that rounds out my top three. Okay. My top three are Inglourious Bastards, Django, and Death Proof. Oh, you know, I haven't seen Death Proof. Death actually. Proof is fantastic. And it, like. Isn't that the. It's it's not pure Tarantino, though, right? Isn't it Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino? They each did a half of okay. Grindhouse. Okay. Um, so they did a double feature. Uh, Rodriguez did uh, Planet Terror, and Tarantino did Death Proof. Okay. Uh, Death Proof, if you're not familiar, stars Kurt Russell as Stuntman Mike. 
who oh, is a psychotic I'm su- stuntman. I'm surprised that the other Kurt Russell movie that Tarantino did is your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine Big that. shock, big shock. <laughs> yeah, so he's a psychotic stuntman who basically lures women into his car and uh, tells them his car is death-proof and says, listen, honey, it's only death-proof for me, and then crashes him into a wall and kills him. Uh <laughs> What? Your Kurt Russell voice. No, you're, you're it's a Kurt great Russ- Kurt Russell. Kurt voice. Russell doing John Wayne is my favorite. He does it. He does it more in more movies than I realize. He obviously does it in in Hateful Eight. Yeah, does it in Death Proof, I guess. But um, Big Trouble in Little China, um, Bone Tomahawk. He does it in there. Uh, but yeah, so he he's just a serial killer stuntman who then gets taken down by a team of stunt women, and it's incredible. It really like. It plays really well in like a uh, in the current climate. It's a very like burning down the patriarchy type movie and like attacking like male privilege and toxic masculinity because that's what Kurt Russell's whole character is. So it's fucking awesome. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Watch Grindhouse in general. It's awesome. It uh. They also use my favorite intro that is the one they use at Alamo and Screenland. The and it has your our feature presentation all come onto the screen. <laughs> Whatever. It's great. <laughs> People who know that will say that I did a fantastic I know it you did. I didn't know job. what you were doing until the last like three seconds. Well, you know what? I was just counting the Dawes to make yeah. sure you had the right number. I, I did the right number Your, of Your uh, tone is off. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so as we're getting into to good Tarantino, or our favorite Tarantino, probably a good time to call out like some very specific Tarantino things to look for in this movie, right? Yeah. So what did this movie do well? Um, the... The interactions, because there is some of the dialogue that's iffy for me in here, mm-hmm. but the interactions and the way people have conversations and the way the dialogue occurs, very good. It feels natural. Um, it feels like normal normal reactions. Um, it's just it. It's the one thing that, like, you have to have this well done if you're basically doing a bottle episode for your whole movie. And for the most part, once they got rolling, uh, it kind of kept me fairly intrigued. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think this uh, this movie, again, does rely on a ton of dialogue. And we've defined bottle episode before, but in case you haven't heard that episode, bottle episode just means that it's self-contained in a single location. The characters don't ever really leave. Sometimes they can't, like they can't escape, so they're being held in this one by a blizzard, which means they they really can't leave um, the building for very long, if at all. Um, what I like about this movie is that uh, even though it's even though it's too long, I mean it's one of the things that doesn't work about this movie is that it's yeah. too long. Um, the thing that works about this movie is that you know that at any given moment there can be this explosive Tarantino moment Mm -hmm. and you know that it's coming at some point in the movie. So just kind of like um, horror plays on that expectation and release, Tarantino does that same thing, although not just with violence. He doesn't do Mm -hmm. it with like uh, a supernatural scary thing. It's just with a person. Tarantino does very similar to Hitchcock 
because uh, it's a lot of what Hitchcock is is like the audience knows there's something wrong and there will be a payoff, but the audience is dreading what that payoff is and when that's going to happen. And we see that done really well uh, in the coffee scene. So if you're not familiar with this movie, there is a scene where the coffee gets poisoned and you are aware of it as the viewer and it kind of rehashes a previous scene and then you are just watching everybody drinking coffee the whole time and while they're all pouring pouring their own cups of coffee and uh, drinking, uh, it's sitting there in the background and it is, it's out of focus but it's in the shot the entire time. And then the, uh, the score starts building and you get a lot of rising tension uh, while everybody is just drinking coffee and you're just waiting for the payoff. And mm -hmm. I think that's done really, really well. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is there are a couple of things that this movie sets up at the very beginning, which is um, John Ruth says that someone in the building is working with his prisoner, working with Daisy Domergue. It says could be one, could be all of them. Or something along those mm -hmm. lines. So you know that one of the people, one of the characters in there is not who he says he is. Um, then they have the scene where the coffee gets poisoned. And they say, and that there's actual voiceover in that, where um, the coffee gets poisoned and only Daisy sees who it is. Which means that whoever Daisy sees do it is in league with Daisy. And then you see the people going up to drink it. And so then as soon as they drink it, you're like, oh, maybe they're not you know, mm -hmm. the killer, or maybe they're immune to the poison, or, like, what's the deal there? So, as it starts to, like, kind of count them off, you can kind of figure out who is not mm -hmm. with Daisy and who might be. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's probably a good candidate for a standout yeah, scene, it's, which we'll get to in a little bit. It's up there for me. Um, I, I think Sam Jackson, the acting as a whole from our leads was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Sam Jackson and Kurt Russell both do a really, really great job. Do you think Kurt Russell did a good job? Yes, I think Kurt Russell did a um, good job. Okay. Always. I'm... I will I will agree with you, though. <laughs> I, think, I do think he did a good job. Um, I won't uh, start a fight on this podcast <laughs> talking about Kurt Russell, but I think in this movie specifically, I thought he was, he was the perfect person for it, and yeah. he did exactly what that role needed. Um, I'll also say, I think this is... Aside from a couple of scenes, I think this is one of my favorite Samuel L. Jackson performances yes. as well. Like, the way that he delivers his line, the way that his character is, his character is obviously, like, um, a powerful but underestimated person mm -hmm. or character, right? There are people who are underestimating his character just because of who he is, um, and there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of racism in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um Specifically targeted, whether or not we think it's successful, I think it's probably another conversation. Yes. Um, so you kind of mentioned it, because I know the exact scene you're thinking of um, with Sam Jackson's performance um, being mostly strong. Uh, I will argue the performance is strong the entire way through. And I think the reason that the scene you're thinking of doesn't quite land is because of how well he delivers it. I will say, uh, nothing that Sam Jackson does is is imperfect or wrong in this movie. I'm not saying mm -hmm. it's perfect, but I'm, it's, it's, everything he does is really good. Even the scene that I don't like, he does a good job in. Yeah, exactly. But whether or not I enjoy everything he does is a different thing because of how it's framed. 
Mm-hmm. So he does it in a really good way. I just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think we can go ahead and get into are uh, things that might not have worked as well in this movie or things we didn't quite like. Uh, there's an elephant in the room. There are two elephants in the room with this movie. One, um... I there, argue there's three, but I want to hear your yes. two. So, so there's two within the movie and then there's a third one kind of surrounding the movie and its production. Uh, but the, so the two are two Tarantino related things and it's things he is often, often, uh, called out for are his use of slurs in the movie um, which is common across all of his movies, and then his use of sexual violence in movies. And I think those are things that Tarantino gets fairly criticized for because it could be argued that they are they're cheap. They He tries to achieve a goal with them, and sometimes he does, but sometimes it feels like he's doing it for a reaction, which doesn't always make for a great movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the word gratuitous comes to mind, mm-hmm. right? So for anything that is done in this movie that is not for everyone, whether it's violence or cursing or, you know, any of the things that are just not super savory mm-hmm. for everyone, I mean, Tarantino takes that to a level where he is trying to make you uncomfortable. Yes. And I'm sure that some people appreciate that. Like, they, not that, not that we can't appreciate it, mm. but that people like that about Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that would argue that the way he uses it, it goes too far to even serve what the movie is. Mm-hmm. Like you could do this movie with, with some of it and be gratuitous in certain places and not others. And you could have just as powerful a movie. And that's kind of why I think like it worked really well in Django, I feel like, but I don't know if it worked as well here. Um, yeah. And I I couldn't even tell you, like, I'll be honest, I couldn't tell you why it doesn't work as well here, because they're both the same time period, um, both... Well, I think Django's plot line was started out as already, like, I don't know what word to call it, like... Django's trash, plot line not, is... Like, a... Not... Yeah. Like, ba- not bad, but, you know, dark and... B, kind of B... Uh, like, kind of spaghetti western, like... Yeah, whereas this one, it's not as of an intense plot line to begin with. Mm-hmm. So the right. language okay. the language, kind of doesn't match up with that. I think, I think yeah. at some points the language is overkill for the, for the plot line. Not oh, necessarily yeah. the time period, you know, mm-hmm. it's probably yeah. accurate to that, but like, just for the plot line it doesn't level out. I think that's a really good point. I, yeah. I, I really do. I think that Django is like, it's at its core, it's a vengeance movie. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And you know at the very beginning of the movie, it's a vengeance movie. Mm-hmm. And so everything... Well, not only that, it's a vengeance movie about the slave trade. Right. I mean... So it's it, automatically dark. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. It kind of automatically gives that... It's very pulpy. Yeah. Right. Well, everything in the movie that <laughs> happens is there to signify how terrible the bads are and how justified Django is in any method he uses to exact his retribution, right? Mm -hmm. And you could say there's an element of that in that a lot of the stuff is directed towards Samuel L. Jackson in in Hateful Mm -hmm. Eight, and any retribution that he uses seems appropriate. But I would argue that in the moment, I do not think that his retribution seems appropriate. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, like, in Django, like, you could be un- uncomfortable with it, but you'd be like, I kind of get it. Yeah. And in this movie, you're like, Because why? I don't like, know. Yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? And yeah. so there's something about that that... Um, it's, too, it's almost too over the top. I... I, I think no. here it's used to establish characters as the quote-unquote villain or you're not supposed to like them. Whereas Django, that's already established as part of their character. Yeah. Um, so I agree. I think it... By the very nature of their job and their yeah. role and who they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that might be a big part of it is it feels a little shoehorned here um, as kind of an afterthought, whereas it's a thing you're expecting when you go in and you see you watch Django. Right. Yeah, and I think you could, again, uh, this is not an attempt to censor, you know, art mm-hmm. Art is art and people can make it however they want. It's not an attempt to say, like, people shouldn't put certain things in movies. Yeah. Although there are certain things that I don't like in movies and there are certain things that take me out. And so that's kind of my perspective. There are things that I think you could do in this movie to be just as, just as good or just as powerful or... To make the characters do what they want without having to resort to some of the things well, that you made. So your art loses some of its, I I think it loses some of its meaning, or um, impact when you're doing things just for a reaction or just art for art's sake. Uh, On the nose, I yeah. agree. I agree. It doesn't seem to serve the story. It seems as accoutrement to the story, and when it feel when you have it like that, you feel like I don't. I don't get its place, and I don't understand it mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, to kind of keep things moving, yeah. uh, which this movie does not really do, uh, to get into that, <laughs> this movie's long. This it movie is, long. is really, really, really long. long. And I like, I was talking to somebody the other day, I like the three-hour epic and like the sweeping adventure, but a three-hour bottle episode <laughs> is rough. And the the plot gets a little messy, and I honestly... They do take like 30 or 40 minutes to get too many Savadash, right? Yeah. And I think you could have cut out those first two chapters. Yeah, And really not lost much. Yeah. Um, you could have had them all like meet each other more in the haberdashery. Yeah, and I would have preferred that. Because then when we got like to clue. the... clue. Yeah. <laughs> when we got to the haberdashery, it seemed like a roll call. Uh-huh. And... If you, I feel like you could have done that more naturally of them arriving at the haberdashery and then everybody interacting in what that time was that was spent getting there. Like, just have Chris Mannix come on his own. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, but like you said, it, did, it does feel a lot like Clue. Yeah. Uh, so, what was your standout scene in this movie? Oh, man. Um, okay. So I think my standout scene in this movie is um, the probably the coffee, um, just because it's the only scene in this movie that, like the whole movie, you know there's going to be something, right? You know there's going to be some release of tension, there's going to be some big Tarantino moment, it's going to be bloody, it's going to be violent, whatever it might be. Um, and so I think... I think the coffee is my favorite because it, it kicks off the moment where you're like, I know it's happening soon, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this element of, like, I know something the characters don't know, which is always fun. You have this thing of, like, you're trying to figure out the mystery of who it is and who poisoned it and who's guilty and whatever. Um, and then the payoff of that scene when they're all vomiting blood. <laughs> um, 
Which, again, I'm not, like, a huge gore fan, but, like, I thought it was really funny and really well done in this well, movie. Well, I love how it just, like, it starts very suddenly. And yeah. all of a sudden, Kurt Russell just explosively vomits blood onto the table. Well, there's also not really like a cat scare, but a subversion of expectations, because, like, they you see them drinking the coffee, and Daisy, like, watches them, and there's, like, a ten-second beat where Daisy's like, oh, it didn't work. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, they're not actually poisoned. And then it goes, mm-hmm. to use a, a favorite parlance of Tyler, it goes off the rails. Yes. Um, and uh, they also run running blood. And then you're like, ah, oh, poor OB. Like, he didn't deserve <laughs> to vomit blood, man. But You're just a stagecoach, Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> He's not even a main character in this story. Which I actually thought, the first time I saw it, I thought that OB was going to end up being a really important character. Mm-hmm. Like, they were going to give him an extra backstory. I know, I thought so, too. Um, which is a, maybe, again, a subversion of your expectations, too. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. That was my standout scene. And my standout scene is also the coffee. Um, the way the music is used, because uh, when she starts playing guitar, she's already it's already been poisoned, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So the her playing guitar, and then the score takes over after that and starts building. Like kind of as I was talking, as you're watching everybody drink coffee, and the entire time in the background, the coffee pot's just there. And it's very, that feels kind of Hitchcockian to me, and I like that. And then I like the way the score is used uh, to just that huge, like, operatic release of tension with everybody just vomiting blood. I do, I want to give an honorable mention to Sam Jackson's monologue, uh, because it it is one of the rare scenes that is a candidate for both my standout scene and my least favorite scene. Uh, because the monologues Sam Jackson gives... Um, when, when he's, he's trying to go the racist general into shooting him. Yeah, he's trying to get the uh, general to go off on him so that he can claim self-defense. Uh, and telling the story of how he uh, found his son, marched him through the snow, and then violated him before killing him. Uh, I wasn't a he- I loved the monologue itself. Uh, but then the ending of it, I wasn't a huge fan of just because we talked about it a little bit before, uh, with, uh, Tarantino's kind of readiness to go to, uh, the well of using sexual violence as a plot device and doesn't quite land as well for me there. Uh, but the, the whole buildup to that. And Sam Jackson just, like, with pure rage, like, telling this story to the old racist general is really, really well done. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I will say that, I mean, we're saying old racist general, I mean, he he murdered, like, 50 black, um, like, what, black soldiers yeah. um, down in Baton Rouge, which is where Marcus Because he Warren didn't recognize their... Like, he, he didn't recognize their citizenship because they were, like... Right. Because the whole thing was they were supposed to be treated as citizens because they were soldiers. Prisoners of war. Yeah. They should have been treated like prisoners of war, and they were instead treated like slaves, and then he, he killed them all. And so Marquise Warren was in the same battle and would have been in the same group, probably, right? But he mm-hmm. escaped or something. Um, and so there's obviously a ton of history in between the, these guys. But, yeah, I would agree that... The delivery is great. It's just the the end payoff that's not my favorite. Yeah. So. And so that 
that also kind of carries my letdown scene as well. Yeah. It's the payoff of that fantastic monologue. Yeah, and I don't, I don't have too much to add, but I would agree that's probably my letdown scene as well. Uh, so we will go ahead and go into our Domino Gleason Award, which uh, I think we might have the same one. Uh, so I'll let, I'll let Jeff go ahead and start. Uh, yeah, I mean, hard to not give it to... <laughs> Hard not to give it to Tan Channing Tatum, right? I almost called him Tanning Chatum. I don't know why. <laughs> I've done that um, before. But uh, we've seen what Channing Tatum can do um, in the the Jump Street series, in other movies where he's given room to to move. He's also really good in. Uh, oh man, now I'm gonna botch it. And Magic it. Mike. <laughs> Logan Lucky is what I was thinking of. He's actually really, really good. I have Lucky. wanted to watch that one, and I haven't. Guys, done. you gotta watch it. You guys would both love it. Because um, it's Adam Driver as well, right? Yeah, it's a heist movie. Yeah. But it's, um, but it's really good. It's a redneck heist movie. It's very heartfelt, too. Really? Yeah. So anyways, back to Don Hong Gleason Award. I mean, you could have... What I would have loved, honestly, um, and I don't think the surprise would be good if it was someone else, so I get, like, why it's Channing uh -huh. Tatum, but if you would have put Channing Tatum in the Joe Gage role and just let him be in the movie, yeah, um, or even, like, I don't know what else, what other role you would put him in, but, like, just let him do that and have someone else pop up, I think it would have been really fun. I get I get why. He mm -hmm. was a great surprise two hours into the movie that Channing Tatum is in this movie. Yeah, and just, like, the biggest surprise, like, the fact he is coming out of the floor, <laughs> like, it, it could not have been de executed more perfectly, and I think because it was executed so well is why we want so much more of him. Right. Right. Yeah, if you would have put him in the Joe Gage role and he didn't do a good job, then you'd be like, why is Channing Tatum in this movie? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I agree that the surprise is, is awesome. What did you like about that performance? Uh, I just... He's so damn charming. He is charming. And... He had a mustache, and he just popped out of the floor, and just, it suddenly added a new dynamic to mm -hmm. what was going on, and then just got absolutely splattered. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad for him that he died so fast, mm -hmm. um, but I, again, I think that's also part of the, oh, Channing Tatum's in this movie. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> it's basically a camera. Minus, minus flashback, he has a total of, like, a minute of interaction with our actual characters that we're following in the movie. Yeah. So let's describe kind of the scene where he pops out in case people have not seen this movie. Um, do you want to give maybe a summary of that scene? Yeah, so that is when uh, Samuel L. Jackson... Kurt Russell's dead. Uh, Joe Ruth... John Ruth is dead. Um, and Marquise Warren is... He's trying to figure out who poisoned the coffee... He knows that uh, Walton Goggins did not because he saw him almost drink the coffee and is now trying to figure out who uh, who poisoned the coffee between these three. Also figures out that uh, Senior Bob would not have been welcome at, uh, at the haberdashery because she had a sign that said no dogs and Mexicans. And so he knew she would not have left it in his care if she were still alive. Uh, so she, he, I'm trying to remember, does he kill him right then? Kill who? Bob. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, Actually he does, because yeah. there's the, they've all got their hands against the wall, mm -hmm. and then they have Bob turn around and talk, and then they shoot him. Oh yeah, and they just blast him, and yep. then, so he, Gage confesses to poisoning the coffee, 
and uh, he's about to execute him, and then Channing Tatum pops out of the floor and shoots Samuel L. Jackson. Has a great line before he does it. It says, say adios to your huevos. (laughs) And then shoots him square in the testicles. Um, uh, So I I was looking uh, just up on Google to make sure I had the right details for some of this stuff, and uh, I found Jody Domergue on a, a thing called Villains Wiki on Fandom, <laughs> which basically lists out his characteristics. One of his aliases is Bushwhacking Nut Shooter. <laughs> <laughs> New band name, I call it. Um, the Bushwhacking Nut Shooter. But yeah, so coming he, to Westport Saloon. <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, so he, he he shoots him, and then there's kind of chaos ensues because um, Chris Mannix then goes ahead and and shoots what Oswaldo and Joe Gage, right? Yes. And they try to shoot him back, so they shoot him in the side. Um, so then basically everybody uh, go- Joe Gage survives for a while. That's correct. Yep. Yep. Um, so basically, like this sets off the action for the rest of the movie. There's blood everywhere. Um, Daisy Gamryu um, then gets like blood all over. One because she gets thrown up on by John Ruth whenever he's yeah um, Evil then, Dead style, right? But then also has blood like from her brother's head being blown up. So like she is just cov- like oh, and she's gotten her two front teeth knocked out. Yeah, and shout out to to Daisy Gamryu. A great is that Jennifer Jason Lee? I think so. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee is uh, Daisy Donahue in this movie. Does a great job. Like, yeah. uh, you really don't like her throughout the movie. No, you're kind of, you don't. You're kind of there is though like this switch back and forth where you're like not sure if you should feel sorry for her or not because you don't really mm. know what she did and you don't really know what her gang is capable of. She's also very racist, so part of <laughs> you is just like I don't know. But then she's not treated very well by the rest of the characters, and so then part of you is like oh, I don't know. I'll go back and forth. And then she goes like full villain. Yeah. At the end, like. Not really a heel turn, but definitely dives into the villain. So, time to get into the recast wheel? Yeah. Okay. So, just as a reminder, our recast wheel, um, every week we go through and recast this movie with different characters from a different universe. Um, so, we did make some changes last week. We have retired a couple categories. So we've required, retired the NBA players category and Parks and Rec. Uh, we did them enough. We think we've probably mined that category as much as possible. So, our categories now... Um, or characters from It's Always Sunny, um, characters from the Oceans Extended Universe, uh, that's Oceans 11 through 13 through 8, so it's all of the classic characters and then plus the female characters from Oceans 8. Um, we have rappers. And James Corden. And <laughs> James Corden is in, yeah, he's yeah. in Oceans 8. Um, we have, uh, rappers, we have the characters from the Seinfeld Universe, Dealer's Choice, which we actually haven't gotten yet, so we don't really know how we're going to do that one yet, but we'll figure it out when we get there. Uh, recast with another movie. Uh, superheroes, that would be the actual superheroes, so you have to replace it with Batman or Superman or anybody from the Marvel Universe, um, or I guess anything that you would consider a superhero. Not the characters, or not the actors that play them, but the characters themselves. Uh, we've also got our last two are the 2015 Royals roster, um, <laughs> mostly so we can just put Salvi in all these roles. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the Friends universe as well, which I think we did last time. All right, we will go ahead and spin that wheel. The 
the Ocean's Extended Universe. <laughs> uh, Prodcast said before this is going to be one of her favorite categories. So, Prodcast, we're going to make you recast with us okay. uh, for the Ocean's Universe. So, the characters that we have to replace. Uh, we have to place John Ruth, Major mm-hmm. Marquise Warren, Chris Mannix, Oswaldo Mowbray, Senior Bob, Joe Gage, Jody Domergue, and Daisy Domergue. Right? Mm-hmm. I guess you could replace OB if you want to. Yeah. Um, but basically we have, what, nine characters to replace? Lots of people to choose from in the Ocean's universe. So who wants to take a first crack at it? How do you replace Kurt Russell It's the real question. I, I mean, there's really only one option. Well, there's a couple options, but you got to go with the most charismatic person in the Ocean's universe, and Danny Ocean, George Clooney, yep, has to take the Kurt that Russell That was my role. pick as well. Yep. I considered Brad Pitt, but he's not old enough, in my opinion. Uh, he needs that needs that silver fox going, because gotcha. Kurt Russell is literally about to play Santa Claus. Um, it's gonna be great. November twenty second, Christmas Chronicles. <coughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, okay, so you got George Clooney and George Kurt Clooney. Russell. I'll agree with that. That's my pick mm-hmm. too. I am going to say uh, Matt Damon. I can't remember his. Is it Dewey? No. What's his character's name? So the character from from Ocean's Eleven uh, that Matt Damon plays is named Linus. Yeah, so I'm going to have Linus take the role of the sheriff. Okay, Chris Mannix? Yeah. Yeah, because um, I think there is there is something present in his character that's also kind of here with, um, uh, with Chris Mannix that he's like kind of... I don't know how to describe it, but he's does doesn't quite have a backbone a lot of times, and uh-huh. then kind of gets it as the movies go on. Uh-huh. Um, I'm also going to put the amazing Yen in the Channing Tatum role so that he can pop out of the floor <laughs> because right, he's fair. great at just hiding in things. Fair enough. Uh, Who? The amazing Yen. Oh, okay. He hides in the, the acrobat. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Um, I was going to say left ear, but that's Italian job. Um, Basher? Basher, Don yeah. Cheadle. Yeah, Don Cheadle. Is Don Cheadle, but no, most deaf is uh, left ear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm going to have Basher in the uh, Sam Jackson role. Uh, just because, like, he he can chew scenery like no other. Because mm-hmm. um, I say, like... Don Cheadle and Sam Jackson, I think, have a very similar approach to acting, mm-hmm. um, which is I'm going to do the most and let everyone else just kind of exist around me. <laughs> Fair um, enough. I'm going to cast uh, Kate Blanchett as uh, Daisy. Daisy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I, like, I feel like it's Who? out of character oh, for her. Oh, new one. Yeah, from okay. Ocean's 8. I, it's out of character for Kate Blanchett, but I think she could kill the role. Dude, really Kate Blanchett is—I well. uh, don't know where it like. It's not like the McConaissance where, but Kate Blanchett, Kate Blanchett has done some. Kate Blanchettance. Kate Blanchettance. <laughs> the Kate um, has done some crazy stuff in the last couple of years. Yeah. She was great in Ocean's Eight. I thought she was awesome as the. Um, was it Helena or Hella? Hella. In uh, the Thor movie. Loved her as Hella. She did great in that role. 
Um, she's done awesome in the past. She was in The Constant Gardener. Mm -hmm. I think she was in Babel. She was in... She might... She might not be in I will story. say we are a decidedly anti-Kate Blanchett podcast, though. What? I no. Guess. Yes. No. Only because. I'm not signing on to that. Tyler is anti-Kate Blanchett. Harry, Ryan, and I, you, you came every now and then, but when we did trivia, multiple times, we lost to the entire <laughs> night of trivia because one of the answers was Kate Blanchett. <laughs> and it kept coming back. Multiple times that Kate Blanchett was an answer, and we always got it wrong. I think the one time that I was there with you guys that came up, I think we got it right. Yes, so think, because we were like, we know Kate this is going to be Kate Blanchett. <laughs> <laughs> so, not an anti-Kate Blanchett podcast, anti-Kate Blanchett trivia podcast. There you go, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a good pick for, for Daisy Gunner. I'm going to go back, though, and I'm going to say my single Jackson character, Don Chico could do a great job. I'm picking Bernie Mac, which I know is... <gasps> oh, is that your pick? Oh. Jeff, why did you get to go next? I forgot about him. So, Prodcast, why, why did you pick Bernie Mac for saying that? Because I want Bernie Mac back. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace. Uh, he was a great... He was an, a very underrated part of the Oceans movies. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, great in his spot. Probably could have done more with more. stature mm -hmm. yeah. going on for that character. He's got the attitude too. Yeah. Not that Don Cheadle couldn't do it, mm -hmm. but but of the characters that are closer to Samuel L. Jackson, I'm gonna say Bernie Mac is closer to Sam Jackson. I, I think back to the car dealership scene uh -huh. in Ocean's Eleven, and I I totally feel you on that. I yep. I love that scene. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, who are you gonna have as Oswaldo? James uh. Corden. Okay. Oh. Hello. <laughs> Jesus. Very, I was yeah. gonna do. Andy I'm the Mac. hangman. Okay. <laughs> Who okay. are you gonna do? I'm, I'm done. I'm out of ideas, so I'll pass it entirely. To oh, are you done? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was done, and then he asked who I was casting as Oswaldo. Who are you gonna do? Yeah, first? He, I was gonna say mine. He teed up the James Corden for me. Same voices. Andy Garcia. Oh. oh. Okay. Mister. Benedict. Yeah. Good pick. Yeah. Also, add him into the list of people that I confuse with Stanley Tucci. <laughs> <laughs> right now, that list is Stanley Tucci, Mark Strong, and Andy Garcia. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I think my pick for Oswaldo, I'm going to put Elliot Gould in there. Ruben. Yeah. Okay. Ruben. Uh, just because I think it'd be funny. We didn't, nobody's put Brad Pitt anywhere. Did you have a, a spot for Brad Pitt in this one? Well, Parker? who did you have as, uh, John Ruth? Uh, George Clooney. Danny. Gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have that be the same. Um, yeah. My Daisy would actually be, uh, Helen Bob Carter. Yes. Oh! <laughs> I agree. I think she could do the crazy part. Yeah, she, That's, do, she okay. does those roles great. Um... It's I feel a shame like there's not more female roles in this movie. I feel like the yeah. sheriff guy, the Chris Mannix, Brad Pitt could be him. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. Maybe. No, I'm gonna I think make so. I think I'm actually right. gonna make that one on my. I'm gonna make that Casey Affleck, who's oh. one of the, the twins, mm. um, in the Ocean's one, mm -hmm. just because I think he's also kind of got that like squirrely. Yeah. Uh, not sure of himself, but can get more confident. I I put Casey Affleck and Walton Goggins kind of like in the same box. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. 
Who else did you have, Praga? Uh, the old guy is going to be Saul. Oh, the old racist guy? Oh, good call. Carl Reiner. Uh -huh. Yeah, good call. It's Saul, yeah. Uh, who is Bob? What character is that? Senor Bob. The guy that was out in the horse thing. The Mexican guy. Oh. The bear coat. Mm. Yeah, he was like very heavily covered the entire movie. Oh, well, probably. What are you calling me a liar? Haven't called you yet. <laughs> Channing Tatum is Brad Pitt. Just kidding. Okay. Just because that goes. Yeah. Hand in hand. God, they're so handsome. The <laughs> we haven't we haven't replaced Joe Gage yet, right? We have not. Who's Joe Gage? Joe Gage. Which one was he? He was the kind of like quieter cowboy dude. Mm -hmm. Um. The one who wouldn't give up his gun at first. I think he should be Linus. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Okay. That could be good. I think he's too quiet for me yeah. for me to pick him. But I, but I feel I like Linus at the it. beginning of the Oceans movies, he was like underdog quiet guy. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to say Scott Kahn, who's the other half of the yeah. yeah. The quieter uh -huh. one. Yeah. Uh -huh. The Hawaii Five-0 one. Yeah. Yeah. If there's one person, God, that whole franchise is filled. That's what I'm saying. Handsome people. It's the. It's <laughs> one of the last. It's the last. Not one of the last, but it's it's a uh, callback to on. Uh, Entourage movies is that what I said? No. Um, ensemble. Movies. Ensemble movies. Thank you. Where it's basically you're seeing it because of the cast, but they also do great. But it's because of the cast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of people that we didn't even put in, but I there we kind of ran out of roles. We didn't put Pacino in from Ocean's Thirteen. Oh. Um, we didn't get Livingston Dell. Can we cast uh, if we use Al Pacino? Can we just use his role from Scent of a Woman <laughs> instead? <laughs> 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 I mean, it's essentially all the same person. Yeah, like you're just casting Pacino. He's just he's the same guy in Heat. Sin of a Woman and Donnie Brasco and <laughs> uh, Righteous Kill. Oh man, I want to review all of those movies now. Bob. Oh, Donnie Brasco. Bob, the guy outside. Yes. He is, um, you know, the actor that plays Hagrid. Oh, yeah. Ooh. He was in one of the oceans. Did you guys know that? I did not know that. Mm, okay, it. I'll take that. Wait. Robbie Coltrane. Robbie Coltrane. Yes. Who, who, what movie was he in? The 12th. Matsui. Mm. Yeah, see, I'm not familiar with Ocean's 12 as much because I watched it once and I was like, I'm good. Give me 11 and 13. I'll say this. Ocean's 12, in context of the rest of the movies, is with not Kevin good. But if you watch Ocean's 12 as like, if you just consider it not part of the universe and you just watch it as a movie on its mm -hmm. own, I actually really like it. I, like I just it. I'll say that it's I like it. It's not the be It's the worst oceans movie. It's a but you're still an oceans movie. It's a departure from the style because yeah. like eleven and thirteen are both in Vegas and so they feel very similar. And even eight, even though it's its own thing, feels feels it has like that eleven. Casino mm -hmm. vibe. Yeah, it feels I, like eleven. I liked eight a lot, by the way. Yeah, I very was good. I really, I wanted to see it, and I was like, I think it'll be really good, but I kind of went in expecting to be disappointed. I had very low expectations. Yeah, and I ended up really liking it. Yeah. I think for me it goes, um, it goes 11, and then 13 and 8 are tied for me, and then it's 12. Mm -hmm. yeah. what, do you, what do you think, Rekha? What's your what's your 11, 13, 12, 8. Really? Okay, you didn't like I mean, I much. liked 8, but it's but you like not 12 the originals. More than eight? It's not the originals. Okay, okay. I'm going to say 13. 
11. is the best. Yeah, really. I love Ocean's Thirteen. Wow. Because we get is it because of the nose. The nose plays. The nose. The nose plays. Man. <laughs> but no, I do like. We kind of get him. Com- we get Linus coming into his own. Linus. We get more of the twins. Um, it's the most over the top of the plots. It involves a giant seismic drill. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it has the. The, like, Master Thief from Ocean's 12 thrown in. Don Cheadle as a British man doing an American accent, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) It's, oh, I just, I love Ocean's 13. So, yeah, 13, 11, 8, 12. See, I like 12 because of Catherine Zeta-Jones. Like, I don't know. The whole... So, my only... She's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. She's very good. I think what they... the, The beef that I have with 12... Is that? Oh. <laughs> well, the beat that I have with twelve is so. There's a huge part of the first one, right? Is the relationship between Danny and Tess? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a huge plot point, and my my problem is that they tried to recreate it with Brad Pitt and Catherine Zeta Jones in twelve, yeah. and not that they don't have chemistry, uh-huh. but that to me in the second one it didn't feel organic with the plot. It felt shoehorned in. Yeah, because it was like, all right, let's give like a second level. Right. Character ago now, yeah. We've been talking about oceans for way too long. <laughs> I would love to do a megapod where we just, just the oceans about the we do oceans all four. Franchise. That would be super fun. I want an ocean. What are they gonna do? Eight, nine, ten? I think so. You feel like they, they have to so that it can go eight, nine, ten, I eleven, need twelve, thirteen. Solid confirmation that Danny is dead. Danny's not dead. There's no I'm way Danny's dead. Unconvinced. I. I really. I'm really surprised. When she put out that whiskey glass. Was it a martini glass? Or, or a martini, it, yeah. Because yeah. I when thought he was going to come take it. she put out the it. glass and just, like, set it there, I really thought so. Yeah. I think that's my point for how, like, I think if you were going to have him come back, you had to have him come back at that moment. See, I don't think so. I uh, think it, no. it left it open because it it made you question it. Yeah. So I think next movie, we get Ocean's 9. It'll be the last, Herbie. like, it'll be the last quarter Same crew. Movie. Ocean's 8 plus 1, Danny. Danny's your nine in Ocean's Nine. No. I guess that's... That's uh, not how it works. Yeah, it is. I mean, no. There were ten people in Ocean's... Oh, wait. Eleven. There were eleven people in Ocean's Eleven. Who's the twelve? The In twelve. The thief. That doesn't get... But then there's also, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones is in the movie. Okay, then Catherine Zeta-Jones is a twelve. And that is why they do this. Tess also has a part in it. That's what I'm saying. I am telling you, that is why they do it. That's why it's named the way it's named. No, it's not. But I'm just saying, I'm arguing there's three extra people they add in as part of the plot in twelve, which would make it Ocean's Fourteen. So they're not counting at that point anymore. It's It's just in the series. Okay. But who's the extra person in 13? What did you rate this movie? <laughs> <laughs> what did you rate this movie? This is now the Ocean's Megapod. We're doing it now. Ocean's um, Hateful Eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how to rate this one. It's probably a seven. Really? Um, yeah. That's high. It's a seven. I could, I could be talked into a six, but... I I really did like it. I just there's enough in this movie in how long it takes to get there mm-hmm. that those are the things that it's not higher for me. I think if you made this movie, you could do this movie in two and a half hours. You could make you could take two or three things, two or three things out of it, and you could make the end part a little bit longer. And I think it'd be 
an almost perfect movie. Because mm-hmm. I think the premise is great. I, I do really like Tarantino. There's a 10 in here. Yeah. I do really like Tarantino. I think if you curb some of Tarantino's worst impulses, you'd have A-plus movies every time. Because mm-hmm. the, the writing is pretty good, aside from maybe use of slurs. Like yeah. in, in certain things, I can understand it. But the writing and the dialogue is good. I think the scene direction is good. I think the his shooting style, and I love the colors in this movie. We never even talked about Ooh, that. Yeah. But the colors in this movie, like Samuel Jackson's like blue, yellow, white, red, with the stuff in the background and the snow. Like you, There's no fault to camera direction in this movie yeah. at all. I have no scene or shot I would change. Just the storyline and the way it's sent, mm-hmm. sent up. So... I was a little lower on you than this. Um, to use a phrase uh, from A to Z Horror, I'm Andy Daltoning this movie. It's a 5.5. <laughs> it's exactly average. <laughs> but uh, it's... Because there is so much masterful stuff done here, but it takes too long to get there. And I think some of the plot choices and plot devices used drag it down a little bit too. Um, and the, the non-linear storytelling doesn't quite land here like it did with, uh, Pulp Fiction. Okay. And the choice to add, like, the storybook narration, I wasn't high on that either. Um, that took me out a lot. Catherine, what'd you rate this movie? A four. Four? Yeah. I, uh, that's I fair. feel this... Oh. The way about this movie that Jeff feels about Halloween Town. Oh. <laughs> Not quite that dramatic. But... I was gonna say. <laughs> oh, I was just, like I got nothing from it. It gave yeah. me nothing. That's fair. It it is not a fulfilling movie. I feel like it, and it's not even a movie that you have on in the background because it's because like, you have to pay a lot you, of attention to well, it. Because you leave and then you come back and it's like, oh, it's still on. Okay, <laughs> not. I, I see what you're coming from. I, I would say that this movie... If this movie's on cable, I would almost argue it's a better movie. Um, like it's commercials? Movie, that is your entire afternoon, though. I know, yeah. but... You're but, adding in commercials. But that's what I'm saying. Is like, this movie becomes... Uh, you probably tone... Unless it's on, like, IFC, but you probably tone it down a little bit. Yeah. You probably take a couple scenes out of it that didn't work. And, yeah, it makes it a lot longer because you have commercials. But then it becomes ultimate background... TV. Yeah. Like, you're just like, I need to get some work done, and I want to put something on that's familiar that I've seen before, but I don't want to pay a lot of attention to it. And if you've seen this movie before, it becomes a little bit, because I think this is the third time I've seen this movie. Okay. It becomes a little bit old hat, because you know the beats, and you know it's going to come up, so you're not surprised by anything. Mm -hmm. But I would would absolutely agree that, like, if it's the first time you've ever seen it, that you, like, you have to Mm -hmm. pay attention. And it's, like, exhausting. Yeah. And I was, I just felt so much more satisfied after Inglorious Bastards and Django. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, both of those are very cathartic movies. Mm-hmm. One of them is, like, blowing up a plantation, and the other one is killing Hitler. <laughs> so it's, like, hard not to be satisfied after That's those. Fair. Whereas yeah. that, you don't have that kind of catharsis here. But uh, right. I, I won't fault it for that, because it's not that type of movie. Uh, it just... I don't know. It. I won't even say fell flat, but I feel like there are points it could have grabbed me that it didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say it's uh, it's absolutely fair to say it's one of Tarantino's weaker mm-hmm. 
movies. There are Which, parts of it even are, being a, t- a weaker Tarantino movie, is still a good movie. Right. Yeah. Like, if this is your low end, great. Like Right, well, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's like, parts of it, like, the color and the shots and things like that, that are just, like, in the hands of a, a worse director, like, this movie becomes trash. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think... Yeah, I get where you come from. I could be talking to a six. I think mm-hmm. that's probably the lowest I would take it. Yeah. But fair. All fair points, for sure. All right. Who the hell is this for? What are some other movies that <laughs> you should watch with this movie? Uh, I mean, it's Tarantino. So, I mean, anything Tarantino, you'll like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we'd argue that the stuff we are top movies that you'd want to watch. So, uh, I, would argue, I would say Jackie Brown is a very different movie than this. Mm-hmm. So... Not that you would necessarily like each other. Obviously, you'd like Django if you like this yeah. movie. It's a better version. Django is a better version of this movie. It's a Western, yes. but a better executed Western. Um, Kill Bills all have spaghetti Western feel to them. Including the, like, like, yeah. and, like the zoom in on the face thing. Like, yeah, Ennio did the, the music for this as well. Who did? Ennio Morricone. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Is there any non-Tarantino movie that people would like? If they like this movie. Because I think we have to get out of the... Well, boy, I have three for you. Okay. Do you like Kurt Russell in Westerns? Oh, my God. Then you should watch Bone Tomahawk. Um, It's another two-hour-plus movie. Uh, Is Bone Tomahawk streaming anywhere? uh, It should be on Amazon. Let me look. I think it's on Amazon. Uh, But Bone Tomahawk, another, like... Grand sprawling western starring Kurt Russell and uh, has ha- it grips you the whole time and then kind of hits you with some pretty intense scenes of gore and tension release, um, similar to this movie. And then, if you also like uh, Kurt Russell uh, in the snow, paranoid, trapped with a bunch of people, and he doesn't know who's going to kill him, or who is evil, or who to watch out for, you should watch John Carpenter's The Thing, where he is up at an Arctic research base. Fair enough. Which, I feel like I don't have to give much more of a description of that one. Um, but if those don't satisfy you, uh, if do you like people in a cabin where they vomit blood on each other? Then I'm going to recommend the 2013 remake of Evil Dead. <laughs> because there is almost an exact, or the almost the exact same scene as when John Ruth vomits blood onto Daisy Domergue. <laughs> Fair enough. So those are my three. Um, I would say, so I'm trying to think of movies that are like slow burn that people would really like where there's a really good payoff in the end. Um, I'm going to say... I get why people don't like this movie. I have a real soft spot for this movie because I've seen it a couple of times. Snowpiercer is a bottle episode okay. where Chris Evans, Captain America, basically fights from one end of a train to the other. The train is basically like post-apocalyptic, like the world has frozen over. And the only people alive left on Earth are the people who are on this train. And all the poor people have to live at the end of the train where they're all eating, like, protein sticks that you find out later are not actually protein sticks. or something much more gross. I bet it's people. Um, it's not It's not people. Have you ever seen Snowpiercer? I have not seen Snowpiercer. Oh, did you gotta watch it. It's okay. really good. Um, and they have to fight to the front of the train where all the privileged people are. So it's a good bottle episode. It's also slow burn a little bit. It's got a lot of action, but it's, it's slow burn, too. Great reveal at the end. Um, and then, I mean, it's not really, like... 
it's not the same tone at all, but like Western setting. I mean, obviously Mad Max would be a good pick Ooh, if you haven't okay. watched that. Very different speed to the movie as well. But uh, I think those are the two that I thought of. Um, I thought I had one more. Nope, I think those are the two I had. Catherine, is there anybody who would like this movie? I know you didn't like this movie, but is there a better version of this type of movie that you like? Mm, I feel like Django would be better. Yeah. I don't know. I really... Um, <laughs> really didn't like it. Okay. I, I just don't... It's not that I didn't like it. You didn't connect with it? Yeah. It just... That's fair. It didn't give anything to me. So. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I don't know. If you're not looking to watch something like this, <laughs> give us something you totally different. Watch. I don't know. NCIS. <laughs> I knew that's where you're going. The antithesis of Hateful Eight is NCIS. The second half of season five of NCIS. I have one more. I just thought of one more. Okay. A great bottle episode movie, Free Fire. Oh, yes. Uh, Scorsese, I'd love to do a pod on it. I actually don't know how to discuss it because it's just a shootout for yeah. like two hours. But it's, I mean, it is the, if you replace all the dialogue with just action, like if you flip the amount of action and dialogue that you have in this movie, mm -hmm. you'd have Free Fire. It's Scorsese. It's really well done. Uh, it is, it makes you very anxious for the whole movie just because of how much stuff is going on. Yeah. Uh, I love Free Fire. It's a really good one. There's a Friends episode that's a bottle episode. Okay. In case y'all are wondering. It. What's going on it's in that the Friends episode? the one where no one's ready. What's going on in that episode? That one? Uh, if I'm remembering it right, it's when they're trying to get ready for, I think it's like one of Ross's speeches, awards, like something, but literally no one's ready and like Joey puts on... All, All the, the Chandler's Oh, that's clothes. that one? Yeah. <laughs> and they're just in the apartment the whole time. I know you could argue they're in the apartment the entire series. <laughs> yeah, every every I Friends think, episode is a bottle episode. I think we just stumbled upon a new segment, which is what Friends episode does this remind Prodcat of? Holy shit! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love that segment. <laughs> I'm adding it right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of gets back to. Um, what you would like if you like this movie. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make one last pitch for, it's not anything like this movie, but if you want to see a good Channing Tatum movie that he does a really good job in, um, Logan Lucky is a really good heist movie. They steal basically all the money from a NASCAR race in Carolina, and it is fantastic. So definitely take a watch. I'd love to do that for a pod. As yeah, well. that would be awesome. Because I've been wanting to watch that one a lot. Yep. Um, what are we doing next? Uh, next is going to be our space episode, and so when we were trying to figure out the fourth option for our poll last week, I hadn't realized that we already had one. Um, what was our one? I cannot remember. We already was had it a... Armageddon? We added Apollo 13 last week, but it was our already one that we had what in the four. What are the four that you guys had? Interstellar, Arrival, uh... The Martian. The Martian. Were the three. Yeah, and then, then it was Armageddon. Okay. Armageddon. So, so our, if you guys want Apollo thirteen. I'm I'm not attached to it. You wanna just do five? 
That works. Five on the poll? Are, yeah. yeah. Can we do five options on uh, Twitter? I've never tried, actually. If I can do five options, I'll add it. Uh, if not, we will go with Armageddon over Apollo 13. Okay. All right. Well, this has been episode 12 of Who the Hell is This For? Thank you guys for listening. Have a good week. Bye.